Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. We start with breaking news. Legendary musician David Bowie has died at the age of 69. The death of one of the great pioneers of popular music has been met with shock and sadness. Across the world, spontaneous gatherings of Bowie fans share their grief and honor their hero. There won't be any more David Bowie. That's the, the heartbreaking thing. In the 70s, David Bowie tore up the rule book of what a pop star could be. Seeing him as Ziggy Stardust, we all looked at each other like, what the hell is this? Uh, the aliens landed. David Bowie changed my life. So it was like, wow, it's okay to be different. Spanning five decades, Bowie's appetite for change was insatiable. Every epoch of music delivered a different Bowie. At the beginning of 2016, Bowie seemed poised for another reinvention. Black Star was released on his 69th birthday. But then, Bowie took his ability to shock to a whole new level. Album comes out on the birthday, two days later dead. That can't be coincidental. Bowie's death certificate is unavailable. His Facebook page stated cancer as the cause of death. But no further details about his passing have ever been released. Why did Bowie hide his illness? And did he leave Black Star as a message from beyond the grave? David Bowie might almost have enjoyed the fact that he left this little riddle for us and that we can't quite work it out. Cancer is a disease that can't be easily controlled. But did Bowie manage to do just that in the timing of his death? I want to get behind the secrecy and understand what caused his cancer and what other factors, if any, were involved in David Bowie's death. Forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has conducted thousands of autopsies. He's the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities and investigates suspicious deaths. I've got access to biographical and medical information that I'll use to figure out if Bowie somehow controlled the manner and timing of his death. I aim to establish the cause of his cancer, but given the secrecy surrounding David's illness, I wonder, was something other than cancer involved in his death? December 7th, 2015. New York Theatre Workshop, Manhattan. One month before his death. David Bowie is attending the opening night of Lazarus. A musical theatre piece conceived and co-written by Bowie himself. Leslie Ann Jones, author, hero, David Bowie. David on the opening night rocks up in a limo, gets out, absolutely sharp. The sardonic smile, the look, in and out he goes. It was classic Bowie. He's still got it. At this point, only a handful of people know Bowie is battling cancer. The photographs at the theater were taken a month before Bowie's death. And I can see that he's perhaps a little thin, 
and that can be a sign of a high metabolic rate caused by cancer. But he also looks fit and healthy with a full head of hair. So I don't see anything here to suggest he's been undergoing cancer treatment. The only curiosity is that he's carrying what looks like a medicine bottle. David Robert Jones was born in Brixton, South London, on January 8, 1947. Son of Peggy and Hayward Jones. Christopher Sanford, biographer. Peggy, she was an usherette in a cinema, which is where she met his dad, as a matter of fact. David was their only child together, though both had children from previous relationships. George Underwood, friend. I first met David uh, when I was nine years old. Uh, we were both enrolling for the Scout Cubs. The first thing we started talking about was um, music. We were both into rock and roll. His father gave him some money for a saxophone, and I just brought him along and he joined the band. Music was in his blood, really, I think. At the age of 17, David Jones was getting a name for himself and fans. I first met David Jones, as he was then, it was 1962 or 63. He came on stage with his baggy shirt and a, a suede leather waistcoat, and he looked like Robin Hood. He was about to step into Sherwood Forest. It was quite an unusual look. David and budding musician Dana hit it off immediately. A lot of people have said, you know, was he your boyfriend or something? Well, it was not like that. We both were passionate about music. Nothing would have stopped him getting his music across. In 1968, 21-year-old Bowie met 19-year-old American student Angie Barnett. And together, they plotted David's breakthrough. Angie was great, great fun. You know, it was a, an event to go down the high street with them. He always looked more feminine than she did. She was kind of butch in her way then. Angie became his wife. In 1969, Bowie released Space Oddity, the tale of an alienated spaceman. It was the very summer when man first landed on the moon. Bowie always had an ear and an eye open for the commercial opportunity. Space Oddity got to number five in the UK charts. It undoubtedly gave him a first taste of fame, but it faded fairly fast. I mean, as the moon capsule came back to Earth, so Space Oddity followed a similar trajectory in the charts. December 7th, 2015, 10pm. The first night of Lazarus has been a great success. The only thing that I thought he was hankering for was he wanted to do a musical. And I think that, that was one thing that he was uh, really wanted to do. I mean, Lazarus was the last attempt at that. David takes part in the curtain call at the end. You can really feel from those pictures what a proud moment that was for him. Lazarus does have a slight bucket list ring to it, but I would never have said, oh, this is David Bowie writing a sort of farewell note to the world. Nobody in the audience suspects that David Bowie has less than a month to live. When I look back at David Bowie's career through all of his image changes, there is one feature that remains consistent. His left eye is permanently dilated. This is a condition called anisocoria and is relatively common. About 10% of us have different sized pupils. 
the condition is usually a harmless genetic variation. But in David's case, there's something that makes me concerned. When I look at photographs of David as a young boy, his eyes are identical. Any change over time like this is worrisome because anisocoria can be a symptom of life-threatening conditions. So I need to know more about the circumstances that led up to David's anisocoria. By the time they were 15, best friends David and George had quit the Scouts and were chasing girls. David and I were both very vain, checking our hairstyles in the mirror every five seconds, you know, thinking that we were God's gift, you know. But their rivalry got out of hand when David stole George's girlfriend. He was so angry and so embarrassed that he punched David in the eye. I saw red, of course. Didn't mean I just wanted to give him a black eye. I think he knew why. Next day, David was rushed to the hospital. What happened was his pupil didn't dilate anymore. It's the same size, rather large and black. God, I felt awful. Reading the account, this is a potentially serious situation. David's doctors would have seen his dilated pupil as a red flag, a possible symptom of damage within the brain, including an aneurysm. An aneurysm is a bulge in a blood vessel that creates abnormal pressure inside the brain. And if an aneurysm bursts, it can cause a stroke, even death. But it seems David was lucky. The family's account of David's eye injury is clear that the damage was within the eye itself, which needed surgery and resulted in the paralysis. David's permanently dilated left eye became a fundamental part of his image. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. Psychologist. There was more evidence that he'd crash-landed from Mars. I think the incident with the eye injury is really kind of telling of the kind of personality that Bowie had. I'm going to use it rather than letting it affect me. This adaptability is key to not only how well he coped, but his success in general. That punch from his friend is unlikely to have had any influence on David's death 50 years later. But I do see evidence in his childhood of potentially significant family mental health issues. By 1972, David Bowie had hit a nerve with the kids. Ziggy Stardust had catapulted him to superstar status. People's jaws fell open when they saw him because he just looked different. Parents generally hated Ziggy Stardust. He was otherworldly and of course he was sexually ambiguous the accounts of bowie's meteoric rise describes a man driven by his creative instincts but i see that at the peak of his success at ziggy stardust bowie appeared to be losing touch with reality if you walk around looking like ziggy stardust and you start signing autographs love ziggy stardust which he did you can imagine there's a point where he begins to think i'm ziggy stardust David Bowie, rock and roll rebel, actor, and cultural icon, has died at age 69. On January 10th, 2016, the world mourned the passing of David Bowie. There's never been anybody like him. There never will be anybody like him. But Bowie's death from cancer was surrounded by mystery. It certainly has come as a shock to most people. There have been rumors for a while within the industry. 
world-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has been investigating suspicious deaths for nearly 20 years. Now he's taking a fresh look at the extraordinary passing of musician David Bowie. Bowie's unexpected death two days after releasing his last album created enormous publicity. I'd like to understand what caused David's cancer and if anything else was going on medically that Bowie was keeping a secret. January 8th, 2016, 9 p.m. Bowie's family apartment, Manhattan, two days before his death. Today is Bowie's 69th birthday. He lives with his second wife, ex-supermodel Iman, and 15-year-old daughter, Lexi. Bowie's friend and producer, Tony Visconti, is in the middle of a gig when he decides to get the audience to sing Happy Birthday. After 50 years in the music business, David released his latest album, Black Star, earlier today. And he's interested to know what Visconti's audience think of it. David wants to know what we think of his new album. Bowie had done no promotion for the release of Black Star. In fact, until 10 weeks ago, the press didn't even know it was being made. David always gave the impression of not really caring about the media or the press, but by not putting out a press release, you were making a statement. And David was very clever at all of that. He knew exactly what he was doing. Bowie's knack for unorthodox publicity was showcased in 1971 in a revealing radio interview about his mental health. I haven't been to an analyst, no. Well, my family's nuts. They're all pretty crazy. But it's better to sort of recognize the angels and devils within oneself, I think. A lot of the songs, in fact, do deal with some kind of schizophrenia. David Bowie made no secret of the fact that his family had a history of schizophrenia. And this is a condition characterized by paranoia, delusions, and hallucinations. Your ability to understand reality becomes distorted, and it can be a very frightening condition to deal with. Three of David Bowie's aunts at various times were diagnosed with having different kinds of mental illness, and schizophrenia was a theme running through that side of the family. The mad aunts, David used to call them. His half-brother, Terry, was afflicted, was institutionalized, and did eventually commit suicide. I'd like to know how far the schizophrenia that seems to have plagued his family might have influenced David's life and death. Could he even have suffered from it himself? July 1966, Bromley, London. David witnessed the reality of schizophrenia as a teenager when his half-brother Terry suffered a severe psychotic breakdown. Terry suddenly collapsed on the ground, speaking in tongues, practically foaming at the mouth. And above him, the sky was opening up and something was coming down to take him. Bowie channeled his fears of schizophrenia into the lyrics of the song, Oh You Pretty Things. The crack in the sky, a hand coming through the crack in the sky is, is more, more what it's about than pretty things. To see cracks in the sky is uh, not, uh, not, not really um, quite on. 
The lyric, a crack in the sky and a hand reaching down to me, is exactly what happened with his brother. He copes by clocking it. This is what I'm afraid of. I'm going to take control. I'm going to write about it, and then I'm going to put it out there. But Bowie didn't just deal with his anxieties by writing songs. He created entire personas. And alien rock star Ziggy Stardust was the ultimate outsider. The worry becomes if the only way you can cope with the angst and the fear is by becoming this other persona. He'd been with Ziggy too long. I think it was affecting his mind. He was completely immersed in the character. Confusing fantasy with reality is one of the symptoms of schizophrenia. And I can see that Bowie reached a crisis point about a year after creating Ziggy Stardust. On a hot summer's night in 1973, Ziggy landed in London's Hammersmith Odeon. We're just in the stalls, you know, down below, about halfway back. And he's there. Phenomenal. It was an absolutely phenomenal show. But Ziggy was about to drop a bombshell. Not only is it, not only is it the last show of the tour, but it's the last show that we'll ever do. Thank you. George Underwood was in the audience too, watching the reaction of the spiders from Mars as Bowie killed off Ziggy. The band were very surprised. You know, you'd have Woody going, what the f*** is going on? Everybody's in tears, everybody's screaming, there's a stampede. Nobody could believe it. Gutted. Absolutely gutted. Bye-bye, we love you. He had to kill him off because he was becoming subsumed by his own creation. I'm building up a picture of a creatively driven individual with possible underlying psychiatric issues and a ruthless ability to seize control when he needed to protect himself. But that doesn't yet explain the curious circumstances of his death. I need to know more. And looking back at his life, I see a history of drug abuse and addiction. In the 60s, everybody was experimenting with everything. That was the era of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We smoked dope like you wouldn't believe. That's what you did, really, in the 60s. I know we dabble with cannabis. Any musician on the road in those days will tell you you took uppers just to survive. All these recreational drugs carry dangers, but I'm particularly alarmed by accounts that say David started using cocaine in the early 70s. I remember when he said, you know, I just came in from Amsterdam and I'd had my first line of coke. First of all, coke was very pure in those days. It was, you know, pure Peruvian flake. If you're like me, you've probably noticed that it is getting close to time to do some touch-ups to your hair color. Um, and maybe right now you aren't able to get to the salon, you're really worried about trying just a box from the store. Well, right now you can take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. You really deserve gorgeous professional hair color, and it can get delivered right to your door starting at only $22. For decades, women have had two options for coloring their hair. As I said, you can either go to the salon, spend hours and a lot of money, or you can try a box from the store, which is always a little difficult 
difficult to actually get right. Many Madison Reed clients comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love the results. Gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy looking hair. This is game changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon. What makes Madison Reed color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous, multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Autopsy listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code LASTHOURS. That's code L-A-S-T-H-O-U-R-S. Good evening. The death of one of the great pioneers of popular music, David Bowie, has been met with shock and sadness. The secrecy surrounding the exact cause of Bowie's death and its timing just two days after the release of Blackstar ensured emotions ran high. There won't be any more David Bowie. That's the, the heartbreaking thing. Forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter investigates suspicious deaths in one of America's biggest cities. He's trying to understand how David Bowie's early life could have laid the ground for his dramatic death. So far, I've discovered that Bowie's childhood had some serious challenges, including concerns about mental health. As a teenager, he started using so-called recreational drugs, and that escalated to cocaine use in his 20s. There is no good evidence linking cocaine use to cancer, but it can cause other pathological changes. And in the long term, cocaine use is addictive. By 1974, Bowie had moved from Bromley to New York City with a new look for a new album and a new habit. Carlos Alomar played guitar on the Diamond Dogs tour. You just finished doing a show. You've got every core of your being with adrenaline pumping like till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Really sitting in your room, really. That's when David's addiction of cocaine kind of kicked in. You've got to imagine you're a mega rock star and you're in America and I saw it on the Diamond Dogs tour after every gig. You've got guys dropping stuff off, girls, everything. It's all there on tap. Cocaine is a strong stimulant which acts by inhibiting the reuptake of neurotransmitters within the brain. The increased concentrations of serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine result in alertness and euphoria. But over time, there are many negative side effects. Through 1974, Bowie's use of cocaine went through the roof. David was a workaholic. Cocaine would have kept him running. That was his fuel. He was reported to be snorting hundreds of dollars a day. I've seen one line, mountains. They were crazy times, actually. Cocaine is very far from the harmless drug that Bowie might have believed. Its use has an unpredictable and devastating effect on the body. The heart takes a pounding from high blood pressure. The heart muscle itself can be damaged, increasing the long-term risk of cardiac arrest. Mixed with alcohol, cocaine forms cocoethylene. This amplifies the buzz, but can have the side effect of creating psychoses in the user. from reality is a real danger. By 1976, Bowie's idiosyncratic ways were the stuff of legend. At one point, David's diet consisted solely of red peppers, cocaine, and milk. 
Is this eccentric behavior? Yes. But actually, it has all the hallmarks of an eating disorder. And at the base of most eating disorders is this need for control. I feel insecure. I feel unhappy. I feel I have to control things so I feel safe. Two years into his cocaine habit, Bowie seemed locked in a pattern of self-destruction. But one day, to the rock world's amazement, he quit his drug life in America and headed for Europe alone. I can see that David attempted to control his cocaine habit by abandoning everything and everyone associated with the drug. Now, this might seem like an overreaction, but we know that the environment plays a key role in addiction. So, David's move was the best thing he could have done. In order to really break free, he had to step away from everyone that he'd known before. I didn't really see him anymore. Bowie's wife Angie would also become a casualty of his survival strategy. The partnership that created Ziggy finally divorced in 1980. Well, David Bowie, as we know, is always someone who could recreate and reinvent himself. But the other side of that was he was always quite ruthless when it needed to move on. January 9th, 2016, 8 a.m. Bowie's family apartment, Manhattan. One day before his death. Hey, Dad, listen to this. Black Star is impressively hard. David was at home with his wife and his daughter. Lexi was the apple of David's eye. It's a rich, deep... Black Star was released yesterday, and reviews are starting to trickle in. I know very well he cared more about critical response than he ever publicly admitted. Because that was a large part of his self-worth, was, you know, what do they think of me now? Bowie drastically cut down on his cocaine intake after leaving the United States and seems to have finally quit using around 1980. Addiction is a lifelong struggle, but there's no suggestion Bowie was using any illegal drugs at the time of his death. However, David's early reckless lifestyle could still have the potential to come back and haunt him. David was very secretive about the details of his health, but I can see something in his medical history that would have challenged his ability to assert control. June 25th, 2004. Bowie's reality tour arrives in Germany. He's on the road. Huge tour. One of the biggest tours he's, he's ever undertaken. He's looking amazing. In 2004, Bowie was 57 years old and drug-free. I'm impressed to see that he's really taking control of his health. He's been working out with a trainer and taking medication to lower cholesterol. But that night, David's performance was interrupted. David was suddenly attacked with what everybody thought was a trapped nerve. Bowie made it to the end of the show, but collapsed backstage. I see that David had assumed that an old skiing injury was flaring up. At the time, he was awaiting surgery on the rotator cuff in his left shoulder and had been given a cortisone injection to deal with the discomfort. But that night, the shooting pain was correctly diagnosed as angina. 
Angina is a symptom of coronary artery disease. The vessels supplying blood to David's heart have been compromised by thickening, hardening, and loss of elasticity, called atherosclerosis. Poor blood supply to the heart may ultimately provoke cardiac arrest. The treatment of this type of problem is to open up the narrow blood vessel by inserting a stent. This is a tiny metal tube that pushes the walls of the artery outward. I see that David has a procedure immediately after he is diagnosed. Illness is difficult for anybody. For someone that values control, to have something, you know, as serious as this, you know, to come in and smash it all up, that would have been hugely difficult. David's arterial heart disease is almost certainly lifestyle related. Long use of cocaine, for example, is known to stiffen artery walls. But since he stopped using cocaine perhaps 20 years earlier, I'd rule it out as a principal cause. The big factor is likely to have been David's history of smoking. He was in the habit of smoking about 60 a day. He was one of these blokes who took a sort of nervous puff out of a fag and then would stub it out and then light another one. Smoking is the single biggest risk factor for numerous diseases. The toxic chemicals in cigarette smoke damage the lining of the blood vessels, initiating atherosclerosis. David would probably have been prescribed nitroglycerin tablets. These dilate his arteries in the event of an angina attack. And he would certainly have been advised to take things easy. Any kind of exertion could provoke another episode and smoking would be completely out of the question. After his surgery, Bowie retreated to his family apartment in Manhattan and shifted his entire public persona online. So like David, to latch on to the digital age. He was always in the chat rooms and he had a little handle, sailor, sometimes it was him, sometimes it wasn't. We'd always communicate with emails. He said to me, he said, George, you might not see me for five or ten years, but don't worry, it won't make any difference to our friendship. You know, we'll still be friends. In a very Bowie way, he grasps on to what's new. He's looked to recreate himself. He's looked at what's around him so that he can gain a sense of control. David's failing health forced him to reevaluate how he controlled his life. But his arterial disease would not be the only consequence of his smoking habit. Tell your chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, Armandito Cristian Perez. I had to use the real name. Why? Because now it's the podcast. From negative to positive, which you can catch on Apple Podcast, Podcast One, and Spotify. Flow to the rider. Woo! I don't even know if you know how much they play you around the world or anywhere my brother no matter how much bread we make dog we can't take it with us no right. matter how many houses cars whatever we acquire can't take it with us with that said anything we make is always to give back dog why are we starting a podcast well it's real simple with the times that we're living in right now in the world i think you need to be motivated inspired educated aware positive so what I'm here is just to motivate the world and let them know when we talk, we call a spade a spade. So you're going to hear the truth. So I look forward to the podcast. I look forward to showing y'all, teaching y'all how to take it from a negative to a positive. So get ready. From negative to positive, which you can catch on Apple Podcast, Podcast One, and Spotify. Legendary musician David Bowie has died at the age of 69. Just after he brought a, a brand new album. 
When the album Black Star went online in January 2016, no one guessed that David Bowie had smuggled out his own epitaph. Dr. Michael Hunter is chief medical examiner for one of America's biggest cities. He's conducted thousands of autopsies to determine the cause of death and is investigating the passing of David Bowie. So far, I've discovered David's controlling personality has helped him overcome potentially devastating health issues, both mental and physical. Now I'd like to know what caused David's cancer and if anything else played a part in his passing. June 2014, Manhattan. For 10 years, Bowie lived in relative obscurity with his family. But his health faltered, and he underwent medical tests. Now, his doctor had the results. Bowie was a very private man, but I happened to know that he was seriously ill because I had this conversation with one of his musicians. Details of his symptoms have never been made public, but the prognosis was grim. All I know is that he had liver cancer, and it was considered even then inoperable. At first glance, I'm not sure that the reports that David had liver cancer are giving the complete picture of his illness. Statistically, Liver cancer is rarely the primary cancer. It is usually started somewhere else and metastasized, meaning cancer cells have spread to the liver. And in Bowie's case, there is a big clue about where the disease could have started. Smoking cigarettes is a major factor for most cancers, but especially lung cancer. The fact David hadn't smoked for a decade certainly reduces his risk of lung cancer, but it doesn't rule it out. So could David's cancer have started in his lungs and migrated to his liver? January 2015, Magic Shop Studios, Manhattan. Six months after his cancer diagnosis, David began recording Black Star using musicians he's never played with before. Literally every musician on Black Star is, is new. One might argue that this was the blank slate that he wanted to have. Maybe it was the last blank canvas. For me, David's lungs would be the obvious origin of his cancer. But looking at the last months of his life, I'm struck by the fact David was able to record numerous songs. That, to me, is significant because in 90% of cases, lung cancer would typically lead to breathing problems. Not only that, one of the most common treatments for lung cancer is radiation, and more than four out of five of those patients suffer from vocal changes. Now, David's voice seems to have been unaffected by his cancer, so on balance with the information I have, I'd rule out lung cancer and say that David's liver cancer was probably primary. Tony Visconti was supposed to be producing the album. But when David asked him for a private meeting, Visconti expected to be fired. Instead, David had something to show him. He was completely bald. If David's liver cancer was inoperable, as reports suggest... His treatment options could have included chemotherapy given directly into the liver to reduce the tumor size. 
But chemo attacks all rapidly dividing cells, including hair follicles. A bald head would make it very difficult to conceal his illness. Visconti was one of David's oldest friends, but this was the first he'd heard of David's cancer. What does secrecy give you? Secrecy gives you this sense of control. I've got this, people don't know, so I can you know, pretend that it's not part of my life. He waits six months to tell his best friend because he knew once it was out there, he would lose control. Chemotherapy can be tolerated only for brief periods, and other drugs called corticosteroids are used to counter the nausea and loss of appetite from chemo. Like all drugs, there are side effects, and for 20% of people on high doses of steroids, these include mania, psychosis, and high blood pressure, all a potential worry given David's history. Nevertheless, this regimen can be effective at shrinking cancers, even as advanced as David's. September 2015, Manhattan, Bowie's family apartment. By the time rehearsals for Lazarus were underway, Bowie was often too unwell to attend. David was having treatment, wasn't really able to be hands-on in the theater, but he was plugged in in his apartment and he was watching proceedings and chattering into the earpiece of his director. Creativity for Bowie is very much his tonic. So, you know, he's got these surveillance cameras and so he can watch what's going on. This is somebody that works because they, they need to. They need it for their own sense of grounding and sanity. By the time Lazarus was ready for opening night, Bowie's hair had grown back. He looked fit and well. But after the performance, Bowie collapsed. He was clearly very ill indeed at that point. He must have dragged himself there. In fact, David had known for several weeks that his cancer was terminal. He told a friend that it had spread everywhere. Once David's cancer spread, the medical emphasis would have shifted from trying to eliminate the cancer to palliative care. January 10th, 2016. Lazarus has almost finished its run. David's album, Black Star, is creeping up the charts. But two days after his birthday, David's fight with liver cancer is reaching an end. Bowie's death is revealed on his official Facebook page. I got a text message on my phone that he died. Couldn't quite take it in at first. Mad, mad, mad. Three days later, David's body is cremated. His ashes are reported to have been spread in Bali in a private Buddhist ceremony. There was no funeral, there was no nothing. It was just like this one announcement. And so that chapter was closed, boom. In the vacuum created by the family's secrecy, rumors flooded the internet. Was something other than cancer behind David's death? Some journalists had never forgotten Bowie's famous confession about his sexuality in a 1972 press interview. David declared, I'm gay and I always have been. In the 70s, it was a daring move to say you're gay, you're bisexual, but here is a man that dared to be different. At the time, he was attacked for his honesty. 44 years later, Bowie's sexuality was back in the headlines.
David Bowie, rock and roll rebel, actor, and cultural icon, has died at age 69. He succumbed to cancer days after releasing a new album on his birthday. Dr. Michael Hunter is one of America's most respected medical examiners, and is investigating the passing of David Bowie. Bowie's death was unique because it seemed to fit with how he lived his life as an artist. I believe David's history of smoking is likely to have played a big role in triggering his reported liver cancer. But now I'd like to figure out if anything apart from cancer was involved in his death, and if David's own choices were somehow to blame. Bowie's death was announced anonymously on his Facebook page. Cancer was named as the cause, but not the type of cancer. Some sections of the press sensed a cover-up, asking, "Did HIV contribute to David's death?" He was experimental. Everyone was in the 70s. Gender didn't matter. I think the Bowie sex life wasn't something that was conventional. Angie swung both ways. David swung both ways, and sometimes they swung the same way together. And one of her great lines is, "You know, we met when we were screwing the same bloke." David's sexual activity as a young man certainly increased his chances of contracting a range of STDs, but the HIV virus didn't appear in the U.S. until 1980. However, I can see that the question of HIV infection does figure later on in David's life. In 1987, Bowie was accused by a jilted lover of having given her AIDS. The woman scorned. Uh, goes to the police and goes to court, and accused him of having infected her with AIDS. But a very simple AIDS test proved that he didn't. I'm satisfied that HIV had nothing to do with David's illness. But given the dramatic impact of his death coming just two days after releasing Black Star, to what extent did Bowie control the manner and timing of his passing? On the day of Black Star's release. A set of photos of Bowie was posted on his website. How like him to have those great photos released for his birthday, looking amazing and looking in control. And the message would have been, guys, there's nothing wrong. Many assumed the photos were taken on Bowie's birthday. In fact, they were shot about a month earlier. Those press photos, I think, are really telling of how Bowie stage managed things. This is his last chance to tell the world, "This is what I want you to see." This is pure theater. If David was trying to manipulate perceptions about his health with these photographs, then my question would be, how far would he be prepared to take that control to guarantee his place in history? David releases Black Star, the album. Two days later, he was dead. How could the timing have been so perfect? David's death hadn't been on anybody's radar. I've heard people say, "Did he kill himself?" Being such a control freak led a lot of people to believe that his death was assisted suicide. It's certainly possible that David could have thought about assisted suicide, but he'd also considered the potential consequences, the effect it would have on his loved ones. He stage managed everything in his life, but would he put his family at risk, his closest friends at risk, 
by enlisting them in such behavior. I doubt very much that he would. I don't see any evidence that David Bowie wanted to cut short his life. Just the opposite. So I don't think he would have opted for assisted suicide. Now, that isn't to say that palliative drugs couldn't have played a role. In the final hours of David's life, we know that he was surrounded by family and medical providers. Assuming his cancer had metastasized, morphine would probably be controlling his pain. Corticosteroids that he was likely taking will have reduced David's ability to fight infection. That risk would be increased still further by his failing liver, which would normally clear toxins from the body. David's compromised liver would be less and less able to function. And as a result, he would drift into a hepatic coma. Bowie would eventually stop breathing and his heart would stop. David Bowie's dramatic exit left his fans looking for answers. And in the absence of clarity from the family, every aspect of Black Star was scrutinized and decrypted. Everybody looking for underlying messages or some secrets or other that he's trying to impart through his music. I think there's an element of the self-penned epitaph in Black Star. Look up here, I'm in heaven. He's heading back out into the universe, which was the message of Blackstar. Look up here, I'm in heaven. David retreating back into a wardrobe is clearly falling into a coffin. I totally see the need of David to take his life and encapsulate it in such a way that it can have meaning even in the end. The aspirations that an artist like David has is totally beyond the scope of a usual man. I can see that in Black Star, Bowie was able to confront his approaching death and deal with it creatively. That is totally in keeping with what I've discovered about his lifelong habit of controlling his anxieties by writing and performing. David had the most amazing career, and he had the ultimate dream of any musician. He released an album three days before he, he takes off. You could say David Bowie went out on his own terms better to go out that way than to fade away. I wish I had said a few things uh, by email at least to him. I think the last one I said to him was, um, you're a star. And he said, yes, I know. David had access to the latest treatments and the best medical care, but his cancer resisted all efforts to control it. I believe David clung to life long enough to see Black Star released, and once he'd achieved that goal, he was able to let go. David's controlling personality had served him well throughout his life, but it was his creativity that sustained him to the very end. I'm very much a character when I go on stage. I'm a, an actor. I believe in my part all the way down the line, right the way down. But it, I do play it for all it's worth. This is my life, writing or performing. I don't, there's not much else I want. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcast1.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. 
Then go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels channel. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter.